Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we believe that we are a movement of the gospel, discipleship and mission. And we are committed to catalyzing spiritual, social and economic renewal in our immediate communities and as a result, the world. Here is this week's teaching. Good morning. I'm so excited to be here this morning. Let me just set my timer because I have the potential to keep you here for the whole day. Happy Women's Day! If you're near a lady, please compliment them. Tell them how special they are to you if you know them. Tell them they are smart. Tell them you're glad that they were born. Happy Women's Day. I would like to celebrate the leaders, the lady leaders in this house. Mechanics, if you are a mechanic and you are a lady, stand up. If you are a hard leader and you are a lady, stand up. If you are a missional leader and you are a lady, stand up. If you are a cohort leader, team leader, please celebrate these ladies. Celebrate them. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You thought that today you came for a normal service, but it was a setup because God knew you were coming here and He has something special for you. So it's not a mistake that you came. It's not a mistake. You're going to be super, super encouraged by the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the entrance of your word brings light. Thank you that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. Thank you that it cuts through and brings conviction to our hearts. Thank you that this morning your word is going to bring life and light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was, I think, in July. I was seated in an exam room at Makere University. I did a course called Urban Planning. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and I was in my third year. We were seated in a geography lab with high tables and we were doing an exam that had to do with map reading. I don't remember the name of the course. So you know how they separate people. You're doing an exam. They separate you so that you don't peep at your neighbor's work. We were, you know, one person there, another one there, another one there. The room was so quiet. We were doing our work. It was like two hours into the exam. And then this guy, one of our lecturers, some Muchiga, passionate lecturer, jumped on the top of the table and said, what are you doing? Apparently, some guy was cheating. He had sneaked in a summary of his notes and folded it and put it under the map and he had been caught. 
Now, you know how exam fever can be. Everyone is trying to write and what? And then this guy just jumps on the table. And we stopped our work. And the guy grabbed him by the hand, took him out. And that was the end of his university degree. In third term, third semester, third year. He had been caught red-handed. This morning, we are going to talk about a story of a woman who was caught red-handed in the very act. Read with me together from John. Together. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him. And he sat down, I don't hear you, and told them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now I want you to build the picture with me. Jesus was in the temple. It would be a place like this. Everyone is quiet. It's only Jesus who is talking. People are paying attention. And then the scribes, the Pharisees come in. They interrupt the meeting. They come to Jesus. So people must be whispering and saying, eh, what is so important that they could interrupt? What has the woman done? What, I mean, what's this all about? People are whispering. And then they say, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Are you imagining the woman, how she's feeling at that point? Most likely she's bent down, weeping, crying. She doesn't want her face to be seen. You know those things where they take pictures of people in Bukede. They've done something and they are covering their faces. But it's, she's been exposed. She's been humiliated. She's been shamed. Everyone knows what she has done. And sometimes... Some of us have gone through something like that. You may have been caught red-handed in the very act. It may not be adultery. It may be adultery, but it may be something else. Or you may not have been caught, but you run around with that feeling of, what if they catch me? What if they expose me? What if that private habit that no one knows about is found out? What if my past notorious reputation is found out and you keep walking around with that thing hanging over your head and Jesus is saying, come to me today. Come to me with that thing today. Let's read together. From Deuteronomy. And see where this is coming from because the old law in Deuteronomy tells us why why this was so. And we are going to read together with conviction. If a man is found lying with a woman, married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall put away the evil from Israel. I don't hear you. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out of the gate to the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. 
the next verse. This lady had really been caught on the wrong side of the, of the law. Read together with me. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they may have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. He just didn't give them any attention. He ignored what they were doing. He ignored what they were saying. He ignored all those accusations. And that's the same with you. You should ignore those accusations. From people, you should ignore the accusations from the enemy, the devil. You should ignore them. And some of us, who, like the Pharisees, the scribes, think ourselves holier than thou. We've been in church 20 years, we've been in church 10 years. We come from relatively clean backgrounds and we think we have the right to accuse other people, to point fingers. Don't allow the enemy to use you to accuse others. Don't allow the enemy. Because the church is, is a hospital. Different people are on different journeys. Some are really sick on drip. Others are in the outpatient's ward. Others just need a panado here and there. Others are in the ICU. So, when you are out of the hospital, don't point a finger, don't accuse, don't allow to be used by Satan to accuse the brethren because that's not who you are. Jesus is not the accuser. Jesus does not accuse us. And the devil, the accuser, he comes to, to make you wonder whether God loves you even in that state. You know that sinful state? He says, does God love me even when I've done this thing? Does God care for me even when I promised I would never do it again and I did it again? Does God really love me? And then he questions you and accuses you and he makes you feel like, no, you don't deserve God's love. Don't listen to the accuser. Ignore him. Ignore him. Let's go to the next slide. Romans together. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Imagine God is on your side and everyone else is on the other side. No one can accuse you successfully if God is on your side. No one. They may accuse you, but you have the big man on your side. So it, it won't be successful. So God is on your side. No one can accuse you. Revelations 12.10 together. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength 
and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God, their night has been cast down. The accuser is the devil, the enemy. And like you've seen in the scripture, he, accuse, he accuses us day and night. But his fate is known. His fate is known and it's bad. So, don't be that person who joins in his camp because that's not your portion. Let's go back to the story. So when they had continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at him. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in her midst. It's interesting the way Jesus just turned the law to everybody in the place. And when he did that, it was all equal. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all continually fall short of God's standard because Jesus is God's standard. And we continue, continually fall short of that standard. And when he did that, everyone walked away. They walked away because they were convicted by their conscience that they also had sin. And there is a very interesting quote here that says, never condemn someone just because they seem different from you. Some people's sins are more colorful than others. Some people's sins are more visible than others. Other people's sins are more dramatic than others. Other people's sins look bigger than others. But when you think about it, we have all sinned. Before God, we have all sinned. Big, small, great, small, visible, colorful, all of it is sin. And we are put at a level ground where we all need Jesus, the Savior, to save us. Let's go to the next verse. Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's, it's ungodly people who need God's justification. It's sinners who need God to save them. And he takes away, he, he puts us in this place where we, we are all put at one place, which is sinner, and we just need to come to God and say, God, I need you. Because like that verse says, we all fall short. Imagine a measuring stick. Jesus is God's measuring stick. And if we compare ourselves to Jesus, we fall short all the time, continually. We fall short of God's glory. Amen. Let's go to the next verse. When Jesus, together, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? 
She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus does not condemn us. Jesus does not condemn us. Jesus does not condemn us. Go and sin no more. When I was thinking about the word condemnation, because it's one of those big words, I read about it and I found that in developed countries where they are very strict about building practices, building materials and how you build a building, if they find your building having not filled certain building practices or certain building requirements, they condemn it. Unfit for use. Fit to be destroyed. It is condemned. No one should use it because it's a safety hazard. That's the meaning of the word condemnation. So when the enemy condemns you, he's telling you you're unfit for use. And Jesus does not condemn us. Jesus does not condemn us. Because he put, he took on our sin, he took on our payment for that sin, died on the cross to take it away, that we should be justified, no longer condemned. He took on our very own condemnation. So there is no condemnation. There is that verse that talks about that. Let's read it together with conviction. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Friends, there is no condemnation. You are not condemned. You are not condemned. Okay. Romans 2, 4. Let's read together. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? It's not the fear of punishment. It's not the fear of what will happen. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. When I know that God loves me, when I know that God is good to me, I do not, I, I just go and repent. I just go and turn from my wrongdoing and go on to the right path because of the goodness of God. And this is very unlike the worldly systems because the worldly systems say fear of punishment will lead me to do the right thing. But the spiritual system says the goodness of God. When I know the love that God has for me, I, we, I am led to repentance because of that. Amen. There, there is someone here who you're feeling like you're feeling like you're feeling like um, you've, you've closed God out of a certain area of your life. You said, God, this one, you're not in this. And your conscience has been seared that you can't even tell that what you're doing is wrong. Even though it's wrong, you, you, you don't have that conscience. Your conscience has been seared. 
And God is telling you today that allow him in that space. Allow him. He loves you. Allow him in that space. Allow him. Amen. So, it's, it's interesting that when we think about what Jesus has done for us and how he gave his life for us, the Old Testament law brings us to a place where we just accept that we are sinful so that we take away any form of um, we take away any form of ways to get salvation. That's the word. We can't get salvation through our good deeds. We can't get salvation through our righteousness. We can't get salvation through all our good behavior. And that's the point where Jesus wants us to be able to say it's only by grace. Only through Jesus. It's only him to the point of saying only Jesus can save me, not anyone else. Only Jesus can save me. Freedom from sin starts with knowing we are not condemned. We are not condemned. I want us to leave this building today knowing you are not condemned. It doesn't matter what you have done. You are not condemned. Jesus doesn't condemn you. You shouldn't condemn yourself. And I find that we are our best condemners. Because you know yourself really well, you condemn yourself really badly. Do not condemn yourself. Friends, do not condemn yourself. Someone here, you did something and you... You're condemning yourself and you've taken yourself away from fellowship. You've isolated yourself because of that thing that you did. And Jesus is saying, come to me. I don't condemn you. I love you. Come to me. God's love and grace is the power to freedom from sinful living. When I receive God's grace, he empowers me to live a righteous life even without trying too hard. I live a righteous life without trying too hard because I know God loves me passionately, passionately. And when I receive that, I'm empowered to live holy. That's why the verse at the end said, go and sin no more. Jesus told the woman, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And he's telling us today, I don't condemn you. I love you. I empower you. To go and sin no more. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that does, us, does that in our hearts. When we allow him to do that. Amen. I can hear the sound of a new generation. Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope that you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0393-281-555. That is 0393-281-555.